Hey, you found us. This is a podcast of Carbon Valley Lutheran Church in Firestone, Colorado, just north of Denver. We here at CVL firmly believe that community is built, not found, that it's local, not virtual. So we encourage everyone to find a local church and help them build their community and be a service to them. With that said, we pray that these podcasts supplement and not replace your spiritual journey. If you'd like to learn more about us at CVL, you can check us out on Facebook or on the web at carbonchurch.com, or even better, stop by in person. We worship at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. May the Lord bless your day. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, on this wonderful Thanksgiving week, Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, Happy that you're joining us here today, and we're going to talk specifically about that. We want to talk about Thanksgiving. Now, I've got a little bit of an issue with the holiday of Thanksgiving, and here's what it is. I think think Thanksgiving's a little presumptuous, and I think Thanksgiving as a holiday is a little demanding. Because think about that a little bit. Uh, Christmas, it's basically a birthday party for Christ. So we know what we're doing with Christmas, right? Fourth of July, we're celebrating independence, we're celebrating freedom, and it's just a date, right? It's just a day on the calendar. Father's Day, Mother's Day, we know specifically who we're supposed to be thanking on those days, right? But Thanksgiving is a little demanding because in its title, it's expecting something of you. It's expecting something of us, isn't it? So Thanksgiving kind of comes along with it a certain level of, a certain weight of expectation. Now, in all seriousness, I think Thanksgiving is a wonderful holiday, But it's inescapable, isn't it, when we even say the title, our minds are forced to think about the things that we're thankful for. Now, I don't think that's such a bad thing, right? Um, Thanksgiving might be a little bit presumptuous and a little bit forward, uh, but I don't think that's a bad thing that we consider the things that we're thankful for in our lives, and especially for us as believers. But I, I think that's gotten remarkably complicated for us and maybe even difficult for you and I to determine exactly what we should be thankful for. Now, part of that just comes from existing within American culture because we live in a world which which loves to blur the lines between wants and needs, between things that we legitimately should be thankful for and things that we just desire. A lot of that, we know, started back about World War I. Uh, There was a man named Paul Mazur, maybe you don't know his name, uh, but on some level he kind of kicked off this idea of of wants and needs and blurring the line between the two within American culture. Now, Paul Mazur was remarkably successful and actually made his living and and made his reputation selling war bonds during World War I. So uh, he would was a part of a team that would make posters that would fund the war for World War I. And on that level, uh, he was remarkably successful, and we would say, even on some level, an honorable thing to do because um, the funds that were raised from Americans, from hardworking Americans, from their generosity, funded that war which freed, which brought freedom to millions of people. And so Paul was good at what he did, and uh, he, he made his reputation by selling war bonds during World War I. 
But something happened after World War I. We as a nation um, geared up and we were incredibly generous and we were incredibly productive and we could create and we could build and we were producing things uh, upon a level that no other country in the world uh, was able to do. But in the Roaring Twenties, in our luxury and in our wealth, in that post-war uh, era, corporations started to see a softening in purchases from Americans. And corporations did what corporations need to do. They need to remain profitable. And so they turned to Paul Mazur and they said, can you help us? We see that our sales are starting to slip and we need somebody that's going to help us sell more. Well, Paul said, no problem. He said, I, I, and, and he turned his, his um, gift and the things that he had done for selling war bonds just to the general public. And Paul said this about American culture and about you and I in the 1920s. He said, we must shift America from a needs to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire, to want new things, even before the old had been entirely consumed. We must shape a new mentality in America. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. Let me say that again. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. Now, I don't know if I should be horrified or amazed at Mazur's insight into human nature. Because, and I don't think it's theological, but I think he absolutely understood uh, uh, the insights of, of what makes us humans. And he specifically was intent on tapping into that. Needs were no longer good enough. You now needed wants and desires. And Paul, and Paul Mazur knew that you could sell a lot more if you tapped into wants and desires. Now, Paul Mazur isn't entirely at fault. In fact, he just tapped into probably what was going to happen anyway, because all of us on some level were a part of that. Uh, as the Roaring Twenties went on, after Paul had made this statement, uh, an American journalist in 1927 said this about our American culture, uh, you and I. It says, a change has come over our democracy. It is called consumptionism. The American citizen's first importance to his country is now no longer that of citizen, but that of consumer. And two years later, President Herbert Hoover, speaking to a group of advertisers and admin, said this, You have taken over the job of creating desire and have transformed people into constantly moving happiness machines, machines which have become the key to economic progress. And so the shift happened. We went from a needs-based society to a wants-based society. And from there, sky was the limit. In fact, we know what has happened since. Uh, Post-World War II, that consumptionism, that, that um, consumer mentality really took off. We were increasingly being sold by advertisements on things that we should want, but we don't necessarily need. It's my guess that babies don't need 7-Up. <laughs> they may want it, but they don't need it, right? We were sold on the idea that cocaine is a viable um, pain-relieving method for a, a toothache. We had doctors coming to us telling us that, in fact, smoking was safe and it was, in fact, doctor-recommended. And if that didn't convince you that your doctor thought smoking was safe, well, here's a Christmas gift idea. Even Santa smokes. 
Now, these ads are a little bit funny, right? We look back and we say, how in the world did they sell us on, on those kind of things? But once we are in a consumer mentality, then our wants and desires take precedent over our needs. And lest we get so arrogant, uh, the next generation may very well look at our must-have lists for Christmas gifts and look back with laughter, right? But it's not without effect. Our culture around us, in which we are are immersed, has created a wants-based community and society. And that affects us. That affects us on a personal level. But what's fascinating is I'm convinced that it's also affected us on a spiritual level. I'm convinced that it's become harder and harder for us as believers, as Christians, to understand what we truly are able to give thanks for or should give thanks for. But we're in luck. Because Scripture has an incredible way, and Jesus himself has an incredible way of stripping away culture, of of pulling away the brush in front of our eyes and getting down to the heart of it. That's exactly what Jesus does in our text here today when we encounter 10 men who um, were looking at not only what they wanted, but what they needed. Jesus gives them exactly what they needed. And so we're going to let Christ lead us in understanding how to give thanks. And our theme is simply going to be that, the thanks you give. And and the thanks we give as believers, we're going to look at three different things that informs that. The first is seeing, the second one is saving, the last one is saying. And I'm going to pull those apart a little bit as we go through our text. But all three of those things inform the thanks we give as believers. And so let's jump into our text here this weekend. I'm going to read for you verses 11 through 13, which kind of sets the scene. Um, Jesus is at the very end of his ministry. This is the last time that he's going into Jerusalem. His popularity had started to wane a little bit and his, the opposition had gone through the roof. So Pharisees and Sadducees were actively looking for ways in order to persecute Jesus and ultimately put him to death. But what's fascinating about this is that Jesus never loses his empathy and he never stops doing what he had been put on earth to do. And that was to bring life to those that were hurt and suffering. He does that for these men, does that for you and I here today. So let's jump into our text. We're going to read verses 11 through 13. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. There's nothing like a death sentence to clarify needs versus wants. That's exactly what these men had. They had been afflicted with a disease called leprosy. Now, in our modern culture today, leprosy is almost unheard of through modern antibiotics. But in the ancient world, this was one of the most feared diseases that you could get. Um, the, The ancient people knew that it was contagious, but not exactly how it was spread. And it was a, a sure and certain death sentence. These men had been afflicted with it. There was no hope for their lives. And what's really devastating about leprosy, and as Jesus encounters these men, is that leprosy really took away every aspect of who you were as a human being. So it would dismember and kill you physically. 
It would take away your social network and the people you loved. And lastly, it even affected you spiritually. And so leprosy was absolutely a terrible disease. It had a way of clarifying needs and wants. Physically, leprosy works from the outside in. It's a circulatory disease. And so the the things that maybe you value the most at times slowly start to die and fall off of your body. So your fingers, your toes, your extremities, your nose, your ears, all of those things are the first things to die. And eventually, leprosy takes your life. And it's an especially insidious disease. Not that we're vain, but think of it that way. Leprosy dismembers you and disfigures you before it eventually kills you. It humiliates you and stops you from doing, being able to do the things that you want to do before it eventually takes your life. So physically speaking, leprosy was absolutely a terrible thing to go through. But the second part of that is leprosy also took your social network because they did not know how it was spread. And so you immediately were sent away into leper colonies to live with other lepers. You lost your family, your wife, your husband, your your livelihood, your job, anything that any kind of social network and web that you had around you was immediately gone for their safety. And you were sent to live with other lepers. And so physically you were destroyed. Socially you were destroyed. And lastly, it even affected you spiritually. You were no longer allowed public worship. You were no longer allowed to participate in the the Jewish festival season. You were no longer allowed to celebrate Passover with family and friends. You were excluded spiritually as well. So it is not an exaggeration to say that leprosy took almost everything from you and then eventually your life. And these men felt that. And when we talk about the thanks we give, that's what we want to see from this text. And specifically two things, and I think we need to see it in these men, but we also are going to need to see it in ourselves. We see their suffering, but we also see sin. And I think the suffering one we can empathize with. Now, we don't have uh, leprosy, right? But you understand suffering, don't you? We understand the the struggle that it is just to live in this world. Maybe you've been diagnosed with disease, with cancer, maybe with chronic illness, something that you're going to have to deal with the rest of your life on medication with multiple surgeries. Maybe you've felt suffering within your relationships. The, the struggle and pain between husbands and wives. Maybe you live in a, in a loveless marriage, a marriage where a husband and a wife are not reflective of what Christ wants us to be, but maybe even abusive. Maybe it's with your children as you watch them make choices that are heartbreaking, that have earthly consequences, that you have counseled them not to. Maybe it's financially. In the midst of a pandemic, when business after business is going under, when we are uh, um, in economic struggle, to say the least, maybe you've lost your business, maybe you've lost your job, maybe you're in danger of those things, of not being able to take care of the people that God has put into your life. I think we understand suffering. I know you understand suffering. Each and every one of us do. Because simply existing in this broken, fractured world, we feel it every single day. 
And so when we think about the thanks we give at Thanksgiving, let us not gloss over the suffering that each and every one of us undergoes on a daily basis. Now, here's the amazing thing about suffering. Everyone does it. Both believer and unbeliever alike suffer, right? Both those who who know Christ and don't know Christ, everyone suffers. And so we've got to ask ourselves, maybe something else is going on here. And so the thanks we give also needs to be informed and be honest and transparent about our own sinfulness. Because really, that's what's at the heart of it. Now, here's what I'm not saying. Um, um, All suffering is not the direct consequence of sin, but at times, sometimes sin can lead to earthly consequences and suffering. And so in the case of these men, we are not saying that they had leprosy because of a specific sin, but sin in our world, in us, in, in all of the things that we do, creates suffering and brokenness in a world. And we understand that on some level because we feel sin committed against us and we are, if we're honest with ourselves, understand how often we sin against others. And we look at our world and our relationships and the people around us and we feel the fractured brokenness of it. And we long for a place and a time when things simply work and fit and act right So the thanks we give is informed by the suffering and the sin that we see around us. And it's okay for us as believers, it's okay for us to pause, to empathize, to recognize that, and even to verbalize it, even in the midst of a week of thanksgiving, right? That suffering is real and so is sin. But the thanks we give as believers doesn't stop with just seeing suffering and sin. It moves on to also knowing that we are saved. And so let's look at our next verse in our text. When Jesus saw them, verse 14, when Jesus saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. It's a short verse, but incredibly powerful. Jesus simply says to these 10 men who had a death sentence hanging over them, Go show yourself to the priests. And as they traveled there, they were healed. Before they even showed up before the priest to confirm that they had had, their bodies had been rid of leprosy, that they now had new life, before they even got there, they were healed. Purely because of Jesus. Not because of who they were, where they came from, what they had done. Purely because of the grace of Christ And brothers and sisters, the very same thing is true for you and I this Thanksgiving week. We are saved. You are loved. Your death sentence has been set aside because Christ took that punishment in your place. You are saved. Your sins are forgiven. We are clothed in Christ's righteousness rather than our sinful rags and the suffering of this world. And so I don't know your particular situation this Thanksgiving. I don't know the weight and the burdens that you have upon your shoulder. But I know this without a shadow of a doubt. You have a Savior who gave His life on the cross for you. So your sins would be washed clean. So that you would know that you have eternal life and that your death sentence is no more. And so we have that to give thanks for. That the brokenness of this world has been forever um, fixed and Christ is victorious over it. And because He is victorious, so are you and I. 
And so the thanks we give as believers, as Christians, we see our suffering and sin, but we absolutely have thanksgiving to give because we see the salvation we have in Jesus Christ and you have it. What does that lead to? Well, that leads to saying something. It did in our text, at least for a portion of these men. Let's continue on. Verse 15 through 18. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. All ten had reason to give thanks, but only one chose to do so and to actually say it. And it may marvel, we may marvel at this, but this isn't a parable. This actually happened to Jesus. All ten had their death sentence negated by Jesus, but only one chose to say thank you for the gift of life that he had. It was not a Jew. It was a Samaritan came back praising and thanking God. And what lesson do we have in that for us? Well, brothers and sisters, you have that same choice. We have the choice whether to say thank you to our God above, to say thank you to our God in how we act, in what we do, to verbalize our thanksgiving not only to our God above, but also to those that God has put into our life that are an incredible blessing to us. And so we have a choice. Nine had other things that they felt were more important. And they may even have been legitimate things to go see their family and their friends, to get their job, to maybe reestablish some of the social network that they had, to maybe even reestablish their their attendance at church. But they forgot the most important thing was to give praise and thanks to their God above because now they had life and before they didn't. We have that same opportunity to give thanks to our God above for the new life that we've been given. Let's make the choice to say it to be it, to live it. Let's live lives of thanksgiving to our God above and to the people around us. We give thanks to our God above as we go to Him in prayer, as we share with others the incredible news that sin and suffering are, are uh, we find that solution in Christ and that our sins have been forever forgiven. We're able to say thank you to our God above by simply thanking Him for the blessings that He's put into our lives, our needs, food on our plates, a roof over our head, heat in our homes in the cold of winter, air in our lungs, our hearts beating, and the sky above. We give our God thanksgiving for all of the needs that He takes care of on a daily basis. And we thank our God for the incredible people that He's put into our lives And so let's say it. The thanks we give is motivated by what Christ has done. Let's give thanks for all that he's done. Say thank you to the people in your lives, to the family that he's placed around you. Let's verbalize our thanksgiving and our gratitude for all of the things that God does for us. Now, I mentioned it's become harder and harder for us to, I think, delineate between needs and wants in our consumer-based society. And I don't 
have a magic way for you to be able to pull apart <laughs> needs versus wants. Paul Mazur would like you not to be able to separate those two. But there is someone from Scripture that had a beautiful way of cutting right to the heart of the things that we ought to be thankful for first and foremost. The Apostle Paul, who is not known for for kind of dancing around subjects, has an incredible way of getting right to the heart of our thanksgiving and the thanks we give as believers. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Paul says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we could take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Kind of an amazing way to cut through all of the consumption right to the heart of the matter. God takes care of our needs. At times, He also fulfills many of our wants. But we have every reason to give Him thanksgiving because He has given us new life. Our sins have been forgiven in Him. And so, as believers, the thanks you give, let it be informed by what you see, by the salvation you have, and don't be afraid to say it. The thanks we give is motivated and powered by the things He's done. May the Lord bless your Thanksgiving week as you give Him thanks for all the ways that He's blessed you. Amen. Thank you.